And so our, our theme this week was uh, on the rock. And so we're going to go to that passage that speaks of that in Matthew 16 and read about that. Those two, um, those two testimonies, though, I think, help us see what exactly we're aiming for and trying to do when we talk about God building his church in a, in a, real, uh, in a real way through his Holy Spirit. Because for a lot of people today, they want to build the church on all kinds of things. They want to build the church on a seeker-sensitive model that says whatever gets people in the door and gets them staying here for a while, whether we're doing the gospel justice or not. There's a lot of folks who want to build the church with um, slick marketing, and there's nothing, anything wrong with that inherently, but the issue becomes in so many things the theology behind it. If we can just convince people to come, it doesn't really matter what's happening because we're building our church and really what we care about at the end of the day is rears in the seat instead of hearts changed by the Holy Spirit. This happens in traditional churches, this happens in contemporary churches, and this happens in churches in between. See, the issue is not in how we do music, but it's unfortunately in how we see the work of the Spirit in giving people new life. And I say this, I feel like I say it every week, and I'm probably going to keep on saying it, because there's so much in Christian culture today that has come from the ideas, if I can just get someone to walk up here when they're emotional and weepy and get them to sign a card, it doesn't matter if we disciple them, it doesn't matter if they never come back, praise God, we get to tell the state convention that we baptized one, that we had a profession of faith. That is not how Jesus intends to build his church. He is building his church by people putting their faith truly in him through a work of the Holy Spirit and through us making disciples. We're going to be focusing a lot on how he is building his church through a true profession of faith that is a work of the Holy Spirit today. Next week we're going to be talking about the Great Commission and how God has called us to be a Great Commission church. How, how we should exist as a church to make disciples. Full stop. We exist to make disciples. So that's a preview for next week. We'll get to that then. But for now, we're going to look at Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. Let's pray. Father, as we read this morning, your inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient word, our prayer is that by your Spirit you would give, it, give us the reality of this word, Lord, not just in our minds but in our hearts not just in theory, but in practice. Would you grip us by this truth? 
And would you, by your Spirit, illuminate these truths to us? Help me to speak only what you would have me speak this morning that is good for building up. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our main idea this morning is this, that God is building his church by his means, not ours. God is building his church by his means and not our means. So we start off here, and Jesus is talking about how God is building his church. And I'm going to start a little bit before, we're not getting the text quite yet. Just the idea, though, is that God is building his church. See, in verse 18, he's going to use this word church, and church is an interesting word because when we hear church, or even ecclesia, the word behind it, we know what that means, right? Because we've, the church, quote-unquote, has been around for 2,000 years. But if you think about this time now, the church hasn't actually even come into fruition yet. And that word, before it came to really mean God's people gathered together, it actually uh, just meant a gathered people, a called-out group. So they're probably a little bit confused as they heard Jesus talk about the church. But here's the thing. God is building his church. That's our main point, right? And he is building it through five things we're going to see today. God is building his church, first of all, through his Messiah. This is in verses 15 and 16. See, before we get even into that, though, we see what's happening. He's walking around and he's asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? That's his way of talking about himself. That's the title he gave himself. I am the son of man, he would say. So as he's walking with his disciples, he says, who do people say that I am? And they give him lots of really nice, flattering answers. Some say John the Baptist. Well, people liked him for the most part, except for Herod, and so he gets killed, right? Um, so folks liked him generally. Elijah he was a good guy, right? Jeremiah was okay. No one said that he was a crazy guy. No one said that he was made up. Everyone says, here's a guy who's pretty good. But Jesus asks the real question, and this is a question that Jesus asks of every single one of us. It doesn't matter who do they say I am. Who do you say that I am? Our relationship to Jesus has nothing to do with anyone else but us and him. For you, you may feel like because your family grew up in church, because your family has been maybe a part of this church for a long time, because your family has plaques here on pews, on windows, wherever, that, you know, I'm good, right? Like, we're solid, we're set, we're a part of this church. You may think because you had a parent who maybe even was a pastor, who was someone strong in the Lord, that maybe that helps you out. And you probably don't think that on the top level, right? It's probably subconsciously. Because you've picked up habits from them. Like you say the blessing before dinner, right? And that's a good thing to do. That's not how God is building his church. See, he is building his church through what you say that he is. You become a part of a church based on what you say that he is. He's building this church through his Messiah. We see in verse 16 that Peter answers, You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now that's a ringing endorsement, right? Because the Messiah is the promised Christ who is to come. This one who's coming in and going to save everyone. He's been promised from the very beginning in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And he's promised all throughout the Old Testament up until this point. And Peter says, you're the guy. You're it. You are finally here. 
This is a Messiah who is humble, but not powerful from a worldly perspective. He was unexpected in this way. He was unexpected because he wasn't even militaristic. Most folks thought that he was going to come in and be a military leader who was going to gather a group of people and run out the Romans. But that's not what Jesus was doing. See, God is building his church through a way that is unexpected, through a humble Messiah who is not coming to change kings except to establish himself one day. But when he came, he came to change hearts. He's building his church through his Messiah. Secondly, he's building his church through his power. Now, this is important. Because this is really the crux of the issue. See, he says this, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That's pretty good, right? If you tell Jesus, God on earth, hey, here's my answer to the question, he says, ah, blessed are you. You're like, sweet, got the right answer. Here's what he says, though, because flesh and blood do not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. We have to understand that this, this is regeneration, Salvation comes because there's a work for the Holy Spirit that happens in your heart, in your soul. Whereas he says in Ezekiel, he takes out the heart of stone that is the enmity with God that cannot do anything on its own, even come to Christ, and he gives you a heart of flesh. He gives you the gift of faith. It's a work of the Holy Spirit, though, because he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Your wisdom did not reveal this to you. The amount of scripture that you studied did not reveal this to you. Because there was plenty of people who had studied a lot of Scripture and missed it every single time Jesus was face-to-face with them. Only through the Holy Spirit will one come. It's not a result of wisdom or morality or what your raising is. Because unless the Holy Spirit reveals to you who Jesus is and what your need for Him is, unless He gives you the gift of faith, you will not know who Jesus is. And you will not put your hope and trust in Him. Verse 18 gives us our next point. God's building his church through our profession. Now, when we say profession, we don't mean like the work that you do, right? We don't mean like if you um, build houses or you're a plumber or you're a teacher. But when we say is the, what actually is, comes out of your mouth, you make a profession of faith. You say, this is who I am and this is what I believe. So here's what he says. I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. See, the Catholics believe that Peter, because they think he was the first pope, and and they think that the pope is actually an office in the church, but we don't believe that because the rock he's talking about here isn't Peter. The Peter, Petros, means rock. That's not what he's getting at here. He's using a play on words to help them understand. The rock that he is building his church on is not a man, but it is a profession of faith that Jesus is the Christ. That is the rock that he's building his church on. That is the foundation. There is no church without a profession of faith. That is why, and I don't want to get into this too much today, but one day we're going to walk through this in a sermon, in a number of sermons, to help us understand membership better, I hope, because it doesn't get talked about a lot. See, for us, the reason that we do this thing where we baptize people after they make a profession of faith is because that's what his church is built on. When you're baptized, that's our way of saying, hey, you're joining the church. You're coming into the church. That's why you can't be a member without being baptized. For a lot of us, we put the starting point of the Christian life up here whenever someone comes up and makes a profession of faith. Sort of. But see, the church understood that whenever you come and you want to be part 
of the church, you go and you make a profession of faith and you get baptized and you say, this is who I am. So for us, baptism doesn't come before. And that's the point I'm trying to make here. Because there's other denominations out there that believe the gospel, but in our opinion gets this stuff mixed up. We love them. We're happy to have them in God's kingdom. We're not going to kick them out, right? Because we don't have the right to do that. They disagree on this whole thing where baptism happens whenever you're an infant. But here's the thing. If that means you come into the church before this profession of faith that happens in the future, then God is not building his church on a profession of faith. He's building his church on an action taken by you when you don't know what you're doing. So for us, we put profession first and then baptism. That's why all this is essential to us for baptism membership. That's why we need to be diligent, though, with helping people understand that your faith in Christ is not some get-out-of-hell-free card. We have to help them understand that it's not just this emotional decision that happens once right then and there, and I say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and then nothing else happens after that. We have to help people understand that their profession of faith, that them coming into the church, being a part of God's people, happens when they trust in Jesus as their Messiah, as their Savior, as the one who saves them from their sin. This is how God's church is built. It's a gathering of people whose hope is placed in Jesus. It's not a social obligation. So that you can come here and be known in the community because you want to get more votes at the next election. Because you want to get more business at your business. It's nothing like that. It's God's people called out whose hope is in Jesus. God's Church isn't a country club just for my kind of people, for our kind of people, for people who vote like me, who look like me, who have the same amount of melanin in their skin as me. But instead it is a kingdom outpost where ministry is happening and where we are pleading with people and saying, please understand that you without Christ have no hope. But you can be a part of this church if you've made a profession of faith in Jesus. God is building his church, fourthly, against his enemies. A lot of folks feel like if we don't play the game, if we don't do the thing, and if we don't, if we don't do the light show, if we don't do the smoke, if we don't um, do whatever it is, fill in the blank, to get people in, that we think, if I just do this, then people are going to come. Those things are inherently wrong when we put our faith in them. That's wrong. We think if we don't do those things, the church is going to fail. You have to understand something. That God will not let his church fail. Ever. It is going to prevail, and his church cannot be stopped. One day, Pleasant Gardens Baptist Church may just close its doors. And God would have some reason for that. And I hope that's not the case. But guess what? His church continues. Though it may not be in this location, it continues. Here's what he says. You're Peter on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. The gates of death, the gates of hell will not come against it. It cannot be stopped by culture. I'm going to be honest. Every year, every day, the culture is tightening around Christianity. It's becoming harder and harder to hold to Christian convictions and to verbalize those outright and to keep a good standing in your job, to get the promotion that you want, even to be hired 
in some places. There are folks in Canada who have been kicked out of school. They're getting master's degrees in, in, in different areas because they didn't tow the, the cultural line, could not can complete their, their area of study. I want you to hear something, because a lot of us sit and we lament at the culture decaying around us, and there's part of us that should, because God has told us how life should be, and we should desire that the culture should reflect Him and His law, but understand this, it's for our good. When the culture falls away, whenever we quit getting applause for doing what God's Word says, He is purifying His church. He is making His church full of sheep. And he's taking out the goats. Because it's easy to be part of the church. It's easy to be one who makes a false profession whenever everyone outside of these walls are applauding you for what you do. And in America for a long time, that was the case, right? That was the case. But now things are changing. And there are a lot of folks who say, why are things so different? Why is God letting this happen? What is he doing? Everything's going to fall apart. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He will not let it happen. It's against his enemy, the enemies of culture and the enemies even of selfishness. See, hell, Satan, our enemies will use all kinds of things to try to destroy his church. He'll use that on the outside to try to destroy the church and to cause us to to shiver and quake in fear and say, well, I can't say that anymore. I can't be about the gospel anymore. I can't share it out there. And he will use that on the outside, but he will also, hear me, church, use the inside to destroy his church, to overcome his church. He will do what he can to help us and to cause us to destroy the church from the inside out. And understand, that is something that is much more dangerous than the outside in. He does it most often through selfishness. We talked about this last week as we talked about the flesh versus the spirit. See, Satan uses our flesh and the fact that the flesh is all about self. And he wants to cause us trouble by saying, can you believe they did that? Can you believe they didn't do that? Can you believe that person said that to me? And we'll go and run and talk, and talk about them. Run our mouths about them. And destroy the bride of Christ out of nothing more than selfishness. Church, how many interpersonal conflicts have we had in the past 16 months that I've been here? A lot. How many conflicts over doctrine have we had? Maybe One. And here's the thing, and I don't necessarily want doctrinal conflicts, but I want people who are studying the Word and saying, well, I think the Word's saying this, and someone's like, well, maybe it's saying this, and for us to come to some conclusion, some understanding about it. But we're so busy with interpersonal conflicts that we're not studying the Word enough to, to rub up against each other doctrinally. What's going on? Satan will try to destroy our church from the inside out way before he'll try to destroy it from the outside in. And it will be subtle, It'll be over a long period of time. It'll be us going on a church, as a church, onto life support. It's not like getting hit by a car, where it's just like that. But slowly the cancer of selfishness comes in and chokes out all life and love of us as God's people for one another. I didn't mean to get into all that, but there we go.
God is lastly building his church through the authority that he gives. We're going to get into this a lot more whenever we talk about membership um, in the next year or two, I hope. He says in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. The point is this. Though he is building his church, and you've made a profession of faith, and you're part of it, that doesn't mean that you just sit here. There is still work to do, because he has given us the keys of the kingdom of heaven to be doing his work. And the work is this, church. To bind on earth what has been bound in heaven, and to loose on earth what has been loosed in heaven. I want to give this topic justice, so I know we're going to go over, okay? You're going to be okay. If we don't be the Methodist to KFC, you'll make it. Bring trail mix or something and munch on it while we're talking, okay? You'll be fine. Because this is the most important thing you're doing all day, I promise. I promise. We have an authority given to us by God to hold the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And that doesn't mean we look at you and say, I don't like you, so you can't go to heaven. Everett. He he works that point at him. That doesn't mean we sit there and we say, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. What it does mean is this that when we hear someone's profession of faith, what has already happened in heaven, we now confirm on earth. See, that's the whole point, right? Because he says, Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, Peter, that I'm the Messiah, but my Father in heaven has told you this. My Father in heaven has revealed this. So there's the heaven connection there. We have heaven, and what has already happened in heaven, we now say, yes, we agree. We affirm this. And so whenever you come to us and you say, the Lord's been working, I know that I need him, and you come and you say, so what do I need to do? And we explain to you what it means to to, to be a follower of Jesus, and you make a profession of faith, and you come and you join the church. What we are doing as a church is exercising the keys of the kingdom, We're binding on earth what's already been bound in heaven and loosing on earth what's been loosed in heaven. This is the front door of membership. When someone makes a profession of faith, we say, yes, we agree. We see that you're a part of this. Now, the back door of membership, without getting into this too much, is Matthew 18, where he uses the same language, where he talks about the fact about us agreeing and binding on earth what's been bound in heaven and loosing on earth what's been loosed in heaven. See, Matthew 18 is the back door where we no longer can say, yes, we affirm that you are a believer of Jesus. We affirm that your profession is true. When someone comes to us and says, I I believe in Jesus, we joyfully say, amen. We agree if we see that it's true. But what happens is if someone goes into sin, they sin and they don't repent over time. And we go to them, like Matthew 18 says. We practice church discipline. And he uses these same terms of binding and loosing because the point is this. What we affirm before, we can no longer affirm anymore when someone is in unrepentant sin. That's why church discipline happens. That's why it's a loving act because we're saying to that person, what you are doing could very well mean that you're not a follower of Jesus. And the best thing that we can do for you is to do something drastic so that you can understand that maybe you don't have a true profession of faith. God is building his church by giving us the keys of the kingdom, by giving us that authority to bind on earth what's been bound in heaven and to loose on earth what's been loosed in heaven. The front door of membership and the back door of membership coming in and being put out by discipline are ways that God is building his church, are ways that God is purifying his church, are ways that he is making us who he wants us to be.
So for the believer, what does this mean for you? I've given you a lot of information, and I know we need to kind of pull it together and put a nice bow on it, right? If nothing else, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I hope that you read these passages and that you take hope in what Jesus is saying. Because here's what it means. It means God does not require you. It doesn't. He does not require you to do what he needs to do. But he is inviting you to be a part of it. He is inviting you to be a part of it. If you truly believe in him and truly profess him to be the Christ. The good news for us then is this. That that takes away fear. Because for so many of us, we are so worried about evangelism. And what if I tell them the wrong thing? And what if I do the wrong thing? But guess what? It's not you. Flesh and blood does not reveal this to people. But our Father in heaven does it. That should take away all fear that you have in sharing the gospel with people and discipling someone because it's not up to you. He's going to do it whether we get it right or wrong. And we got to do our best to get it right. Okay? Study hard. Read your Bible. Learn theology so you can do it right. But then go in with confidence because you know that flesh and blood doesn't do it. Your wisdom and my wisdom does not do it. God does it. He's building his church in ways and through people that we don't even know about. And he is building his church right here, right now. And this past week, he was building his church in this student ministry, in this youth group. And a question I want to give to you to bring this back to Youth Sunday, because really, I just preached on the topic for the week at Cows, but I want to bring it back to Youth Sunday, and this is our last thought. And that's this. God is building his church currently at this moment. He didn't stop building it in 1950, and now everything else is just downhill from there. He is building it at this moment. And the question for you is this, anyone who is older than these youth, how am I building it in them? Or how am I building it in anyone who is younger than me in the faith? What can you do to be a part of the work that God is doing in the lives of these students? What can you do to make them productive members of this church? How can you lead them to maybe the first profession of faith they ever make? That saving profession of faith. How can you lead them to grow in their walk with Christ? How can you even lead them to exercise his authority as part of the congregation? To give them enough knowledge and wisdom to understand what is happening when God's people come together to exercise the keys of the kingdom. For a lot of you, you... you feel overwhelmed by the idea of trying to sit down with a student and help, help them live the Christian life, right? Does, anybody, does that like freak anybody out? No? Okay. No one. Okay, well, then you guys all better be at Youth Group Wednesday night and you can start discipling them. Okay. So if, if not, then, if not, I'm sorry about that. If not, then what are you waiting on? Why aren't you finding students to take them out to lunch to find out where they're at? to find out what they don't know yet about God's Word that you can share with them? Why aren't you volunteering to be, a, to be a leader in the youth ministry so when they come and have questions or have had a bad day or someone says something to them at school and they're like, I don't know how to respond to this. You can open up God's Word and say, well, here's how you respond. Here's how you think about it. Here's what you do. It takes you being the mature Christian that I know you are And if you're not there, it takes you studying, learning God's word, learning theology, learning how to live the Christian life in a way that makes what you have deserving of being replicated. 
is your life deserving of being replicated? Is really the real question. And if you've gotten to that point yet, why aren't you doing anything more about it? We need you to help us build God's church, to build these members of God's church, to lead them to, if they don't know Jesus yet, a profession of faith, to lead them to knowing what it means to be a part of the church, to lead them to understand how to exercise his authority as part of the congregation. And we need you to be praying for them every single day, as a group and as individuals. Praying for them without knowing what all they need and praying for them because you've talked to them on Sunday morning and said, what are you going through? What's happening? How can I pray for you this week? Let's pray and ask God to help us do these things. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the fact that you are building your church. We praise you for the fact and we find hope in the fact that the gates of hell cannot overcome your church, whether from the outside in or the inside out, because we know that you are good. We know that you are powerful. Lord, help that give us hope. When we watch the news at night, that we would not, we would not be dismayed, but we would understand that you are building your church. Lord, for those who aren't part of your church yet, would you lead them to that understanding of saying Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the only one who can save me from my sin and separation from God. And Lord, would you help us as a church to build this church, these parts of the church, these members of the church on the front two rows, to lead them into true discipleship. And if we as adults aren't there yet, would you take us there, Lord? Would you give us a desire in our hearts to get to the place where we can disciple others. Lord, we love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.